The views and opinions expressed by hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the views of the Global Liberty Alliance, its network, sponsors, donors, or broadcast platforms. The Global Liberty Alliance provides this podcast for informational purposes. Freedom of speech is a fundamental right and essential for free societies to prosper. Thank you for listening and supporting the mission of the Global Liberty Alliance, dedicated to strengthening and defending fundamental individual rights, free markets, and the rule of law. And this is Jason Poblet, and welcome to another Global Liberty Alliance podcast. I'm coming to you today, as usual, from the great Commonwealth of Virginia and Alexandria, right across the river from Washington, D.C. Today, we have uh, two very special guests with us from Virginia. Uh, so we're keeping it local again this week. Um, uh, Cara uh, Palladino, uh, the founder and program director of Mom's Peace, and Deacon Gerard Marie Anthony, Deacon Anthony, uh, who also is involved with this wonderful apostolate. And before I introduce both of them, I just want to briefly introduce the subject matter. Uh, this is one of the, the more uh, serious podcasts we've done because of the subject matter, uh, but it's an important one, one that I've been wanting to do for a while because we are an organization focused on defending fundamental rights and ordinarily, when you talk about that issue, you tend to think of maybe political prisoners or hostages, maybe people behind, you know, in communist China or in communist Cuba, and 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 maybe even people here, people who have had their fundamental rights uh, uh, violated or something's happened. But guess what? It's it happens at the whole spectrum. And today we're going to talk about uh, uh, the youngest and the most vulnerable uh, in our society. Uh, and those of us who are Catholics, we believe in uh, the sacred right to life from conception until natural death. So we're going to go to the very beginning of this fundamental rights discussion. And I can't think of two uh, more special people than Deacon Anthony and Kara to walk us through this subject. Uh, a mom's piece was founded several years ago, and Kara's going to tell us about this. And they focus on helping parents and moms, especially dealing with miscarried or stillborn uh, children. And I consider those some of the youngest clients I've rep ever represented. Uh, those, those are very uh, special clients, some that you never forget. And before I introduce Kara, I want to tell a little how I met her. Uh, I uh, introduced Kara through a mutual friend in Virginia. They were looking for some legal help and I gladly uh, was able to guide them at the very beginning and as I usually do with some of my clients and friends, I, I want to meet them. And, I, and we'd met a few times and I said, well, now I have to go out and see you at work. And it was the first time ever that I went to a cemetery. And I saw this tiny lady uh, reaching into a grave. And it was um, somber, but also, uh, uh, again, again, a very special moment because of what she was doing. And I saw how dedicated she was to this apostolate. And then of course I met Deacon uh, a few months after that. And uh, uh, we met at a, at a group meeting with the organization and I saw how passionate he was about this. And I think that the stories we're gonna share today, uh, they're, they're a little difficult, but they're also very inspirational. And I, I'm looking forward to the talk. So 
Kara, she is the founder of a mom's peace. She's a mother of six and uh, four heavenly souls. Upon experiencing the loss of her seventh child, Kara discovered there was not a plan set up for the burial of the unborn. And that's where the mom's peace came, uh, came from. And she's over out in Gainesville. And we're going to hear a little bit about that one second. I'm introduced Deacon. Uh, Deacon is a longtime Virginian. In fact, he was born and raised in Virginia. Uh, and he was born in Alexandria, I think. And um, was baptized over at St. Rita Church, which is where I used to go to Mass. Many when I first came to Virginia many moons ago, uh, I used to go to St. Rita's, um, and he is now very active in in the Commonwealth, and he has a, a wonderful uh, ministry. He teaches to he teaches youth. He's taught the, uh, taught the youth out in St. Louis Church in Alexandria, St. Timothy. I'm not going to speak anymore. I want them to say a little bit about themselves. <laughs> Welcome both. How are you both doing? And... Great, Jason. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That well, was. Thanks for thanks for joining us, and uh, I hope that we um, I, I did some justice to your background. But tell tell us a little bit about yourselves and how you all came to this wonderful apostolate. Okay, so yeah, I mean, I I would say you not only did justice, you made us proud. So, but I, <laughs> but afterwards, so I'm Deacon uh, Gerard Marie Anthony for my apostolate. Um, obviously, I love I love I love working with the moms peace. Uh, because I have a, a great love for people, and it's actually what got me into the diaconate. We are all called to serve, and we have to serve where the good Lord has sent us. And one of the areas that do need people to help is the area of being able to have uh, good pro-life, pro-dignity organizations. A lot of times we don't think about, we think of service as Say, for example, uh, helping to feed the hungry, helping to clothe the naked, soup kitchens and stuff like that, which are good. Uh, I'm a, I have another apostolate that I'm part of that does that. But oftentimes, we don't think about upholding the dignity of the person as a way to serve. And that's something that our world needs because we forget the dignity and the worth of the person. We equate them to a a monetary value, but as Fulton Sheen would say, we have to be very careful about being like Judas who knew the cost of everything and the value of nothing. Our littlest clients, as you said so beautifully, they have infinite value. Their value is worth not only upholding, but cherishing. And that got me into the organization because I had a sister who lost a uh, little one, a little child. And the comfort that this organization brought to my sister made me say, okay, this is a way that I can serve, should serve, and want to serve. And so that's how I got um, into a mom's peace. That's great, Deacon. And, and Kara, uh, tell us a little bit about how you met Deacon and how you kind of put this team together because that's a remarkable story. You were a one person operation when I, when I first met you and it has uh, grown considerably in the past few years. I know Deacon's been uh, an essential part of this team. Uh, how did it all come together? Well, let me just back you up just a, a little bit here first and say that while everybody likes to say that I'm the founder of this apostolate, the, the truth is that, um, God is the founder of this apostolate. I, uh, I received this, um, 
this calling or conviction even now when my seventh child died and there was not a plan um, to the church or, or anywhere else specifically to uh, have her little body interred. So a, a number of things happened, but, but I really feel strongly that I, I didn't do this. This is, um, this is God's work for sure. And I just show up. <laughs> <laughs> um, Deacon's sister called and said that she needed some help. She had had a miscarriage and um, he helped her out. And eventually I ended up meeting Deacon at the cemetery who did a very, very beautiful service along with a rite to Christian for Christian burial um, for Heather's child. And I was very moved by the, um, the time that he, that he spent with us and the, the words and the blessings and the, the naming uh, of the child, an opportunity for the family to save the baby's name. And all of these added components that, that seem so small to others, it means everything to a bereaved woman, to, to be able to say my child's name, to have a man of the church there, to, to have a proper burial in a proper casket. Yeah, it was just, it was, it's, that's why I say I didn't do this. <laughs> this is all God for sure. You know, this is a great, you know, when I first met you, and this is a good reminder, it's a great reminder about what I saw you doing, uh, leaning into that small little grave and uh, doing this on your own. And we talked about different ways that you could bring in some force multipliers. And there's a lot of great people out there in Virginia trying to help expand this apostolate. And they do so quietly daily. And, and they're unsung heroes of all this, which you're always reminding me of that. And for those listeners, though, who don't know about, and I promise you, we're not going to get too much into legal issues. But I think it's important for folks to understand that one of the voids that you're helping fill is this, uh, frankly, I was shocked. I didn't, I didn't know this was happening. Uh, that under many laws, in fact, the majority of laws in the U.S. to this day still treat uh, this human life as babies, as medical waste. And it's quite shocking to hear that. So I have a two-part question, one for Kara and the other one for Deacon. Um, what happens when, Kara, uh, when a mom goes through that and they're told, you know, you, you read this document that says medical waste. All right. So that's, that's part one of this. And then spiritually, Deacon, what happens? Because that, that must also create, I mean, if someone's struggling with so much when they're going through something like this, I mean, who do they turn to? How do they turn to? But the, we have you know, a few states that do have the laws that are different. You know, we have Indiana, Arkansas, and Georgia. The Texas law, by the way, which is one of the earlier laws, is now being challenged because they're trying to change that definition. But wh wh why is that medical waste out there, Kara? And I know that we talked a lot about this, and I think our listeners would, would benefit from hearing your experience when you first learned of this. I think the hardest part is for people to decide, not, not us, of course, but for people to decide when life begins and when you become a person and when you need a, a certain set of paperwork versus another piece of paper, that's, that's hard. In addition to that, um, the hospitals, I think, make things somewhat more difficult for people in requiring 
um, funeral homes. And um, that, that's not to say that the hospital needs to release um, every small person to their, to their family member, but a lot of times they make it harder than it needs to be as well. There are charitable funeral homes that will, that will help. They're hard to find, but they are there. Uh, it's, um, it's a lot of issues. There, there's a lot of different things that go into play there. Yeah, and I would say spiritually, I think there's two things that go on, but also um, I've worked with another uh, person um, Dr. Sabine, and um, she also looks at it from a psychological standpoint too. Um, we've done a, a few articles together, and a lot of times what seems to happen is from a pastoral perspective, people, if they have a miscarriage or a, a stillbirth, and the miscarriage is under 20 weeks, the stillborn is after 20 weeks, they usually pastorally think, oh, um, God must be punishing me. Mm. That's what happens a lot of times. Um, mm. So pastorally, you have to see that, no, this is not God punishing you. This is actually God has embraced his mercy to you and your family. So you want for them to be able to see the value uh, in their child. Um, when coming across evil, again, this comes from Fulton Sheen, if you have something that is an intrinsic evil, um, what's recommended is amputation. But what we have to realize is that our child, that child that is lost, is not an evil. So a lot of times what happens is we keep the memories with the dignity of the child. But you don't want to say, okay, I'm not going to think about my child anymore because it was a painful experience. So therefore, you have to be able to discern and say, okay, I'm not going to throw away everything, but I'm going to remember what's good, which is the dignity of the child and that baby, but then also say, okay, I may have to limit some of those harsh memories of losing my child. And then you have to think of ways to move forward to deal with that. So pastorally, it's remembering the dignity of the child, the dignity of your family, uh, because they still are part of your family because we believe in everlasting life. Um, and also then staying connected, um, being able to keep the child, even as part of your family through pastoral um, things such as maybe um, you know saying a prayer for them because it's the month of the Holy Souls in November, um, being able to include them in your family prayer time. You know, like uh, for example, with my sister, we may say in our father in, in honor of my lost niece nephew, you know. Um, keeping them connected to the heart of Christ, because in that heart of Christ, we find each other, we mm -hmm. find ourselves. So um, I do think that we have to be able to walk with people too and accompany them, but um, that may be something I can get into a little bit more uh, in later, but I think just being able to uphold their dignity pastorally, the dignity of the mom, the family and the baby that's crucial this, and this is a good spot we're going to come back uh after our first break and pick up with this uh, what does this all mean when it happens to you and maybe walk through uh the steps that someone can follow who's listening to this who wants to better understand what this apostolate can do for them 
and pick up where Deacon and Kara were just talking about, which is the dignity of, of the individual. And again, when we started this conversation, we talked about fundamental rights and it's really, it, it manifests itself in so many ways. And toward the end of the program, we'll talk a little bit about that. But when we come back, we'll focus on what happens when a family and a mom is confronted with a miscarriage or stillborn and how this great organization can step in to help. Uh, we'll be right back. Hello, fellow Liberty Warriors. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it is the easiest way uh, to make a podcast. It's free uh, for starters. There's also an awesome creation tool. If you don't want to hire a producer right away, you can record and edit your podcast right from your phone, right from your computer, anywhere you are, at any time. It's uh, distributed for you, so that's really important. Once you record this, you need to get it to the right platform. They will do that for you, including on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many, many more. You can also make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast. It's all in one place. It's very easy to use. So give Anchor a try. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's anchor.fm to get started. Thank you for sticking with us uh, for another segment. Excellent, excellent. When, it's when great we, to be here. Thanks for having us. Well, it's, it's, it's always a pleasure. And I think we're going to have to do another one because I have like six different topics I want to jump off. But I promise, <laughs> I, I, I promise we're going to stick with what, what, what our, our mission today is. And our mission today is to reach out to folks in Virginia and, and who may be in need of this great apostolate. And, and I know there are many. Uh, Deacon, when we when we broke, you were talking about the dignity of the person, individual person, and someone who struggles with this. This must be a very difficult time in someone's life. As a as a lawyer, there's things that we are always trying to uh, do is improve, uh, you know, solve problems, de-escalate conflict. Uh, when there's an injustice, try and put someone on a path to justice. And I see a lot here in this space that could use improvement, but that's a topic for another show. What happens, and maybe it'd be great to get the mom's perspective and the, and, and the deacon's perspective, when someone calls you, how do they find you? How does this, you know, how can they ask for help? And what steps can someone do if they know someone who's struggling with this? You know, how can they get in contact with your organization to, uh, to deal with this difficult time? I think that... Um for the most part, people are finding us now through their priests, their deacons, um, their friends that have been served by a mom's piece. I think that, you know, they're, they're definitely finding us and, and even being led here. Um, I think that initially a lot of people don't know what to do, but because miscarriage and stillbirth aren't comfortable topics to talk about, everybody just is so stunned and surprised and caught off guard and and doesn't know what to do. Um, like a lot of people, I think the first thing that everybody does is go to the internet and thankfully we're popping up at the top of that search now at um, amomspeace.org. 
but from there is a matter of um, logistics. You know, where is your baby now? Are you know, have you delivered your baby? Have, did this happen at home? Did this happen at the hospital? And then coordinating everything um, the best that we can from there. Sometimes that involves um, a funeral home. Sometimes that involves referrals to other people. Uh, it just kind of depends on the scenario that happened at home. Or, or I'm sorry, that happened. Yeah, anywhere. They, they okay. have, yeah, let me ask you about that one second because a lot of moms and we receive calls about this and we refer people to you. Uh, their legal rights. A lot of folks don't know their legal rights when these things happen. Uh, they think sometimes uh, they, there's, they, they can't ask, for example, their remains uh, of their child. Uh, they're shocked to learn that they can. And I find that now I know why, but initially I found that somewhat, somewhat shocking. Well, do you think there's an education gap about what the legal rights are uh, when it comes to these scenarios? Oh, without a doubt. I think that this happened, um, well, first let me say that people don't usually do this, you're right, because they don't know that they can or they can't afford to. Um, the cost is prohibitive to them. So when you when you take away those two things, people will ensure their, their miscarried babies, even very young. I think that, I think that we've done this to ourselves I think that the hospital for, for many years said to people, oh, don't worry, we'll, we'll take care of it, it'll all be fine. But what was their idea of taking care of? I served a woman who had a stillborn baby some 45 years ago, and she called us and asked us for a marker. And when we delivered the marker to her, she said, this was the first thing that I ever got to do for my baby. When I delivered him, he was taken to the cemetery and buried. But, um, you know, I was held in the hospital for a long time and I was not included in any um, funeral or service of any kind. And it was just so I think that we got a little bit turned around at the hospital when the hospital started taking care of, of people and not with malicious intent, but truly, I think, in an effort to, to protect people. And but I think that sent us down this road where then people just you know, thought that we shouldn't and don't need to talk about this. And, and, and to be clear, Kara, for the folks who don't know your apostolate, this is not a funeral service. What, what you do is support and you provide guidance. And Absolutely. so I think that's a, a huge. And, and, and I think for Deacon, a similar question for you. Um, and I guess we're all Catholics. So yeah. do, do you think uh, do you think our churches um, well equipped to to handle these challenges? Because there were times in our society, and I think it still happens, that people don't want to talk about this. Even some priests don't want to talk about this. Uh, yeah, and that's where, I, and I do think that is crucial. I mean, here's one of the things um, we are called, and this comes from uh, scripture, especially as clergy, we're called to be merciful like the Father. And a lot of times with mercy, that means that we have to be able to walk with people, to be able to share with them the love of Christ. And, you know, some of the acts of mercy that we sometimes forget about, even as clergy, it's like, say, for example, burying the dead, um, counseling the doubtful, comforting the sorrowful, um, praying for the dead. But one of the things that you all just touched on, too, was instructing people, instructing the ignorant. 
a lot of people and sometimes uh, sadly clergy don't know that this is actually a big issue. Uh, one in four children are actually miscarried. So a, a lot of a lot of if you were to take just an, an honest uh, assessment of your parish, that means that out of all the people that are in your parish, there's at least 25 to 50 percent of your parish that is either somebody who's had a miscarriage or has been in a family or knows somebody who's had a miscarriage. But wow. nobody talks about that. And if in order to bring about healing and resiliency, to be able to be merciful like the Heavenly Father, we have to be able to, even as a church, I think, not make this a taboo topic. I remember one time I gave a, a homily just on it because it was it was um, kind of National Life Awareness Month. And when I gave the homily, this lady came up to me at the end of mass and she was crying. And she said, you know, I had... I lost my child 25 years ago, and this is the first time I've ever been able to talk to somebody about this, especially as a man of, a, of the cloth, being a, a father, which could be a priest, or with me as a deacon, I call myself the older brother. Mm -hmm. But imagine, you know, because we're all part of the family of God, you've had something traumatic happen to you, and then you have to hold it down and snuff it down and not talk to anybody about it for years. That's not being merciful. That actually seems cruel. And I think it's as the church as a whole, not just the clergy, but even as, as lay people, we have to first bring up the topic so that people can um, talk about it. And then people will see that there's a community out there to support them. Just as the book of Hebrews says, there's a cloud of witnesses cheering us on. Those are the saints in heaven, but they're also us here below, the church triumphant. And those tangible signs are things that we need as human beings. It's much easier to walk and carry the cross, just as we say in the stations of the cross, if you know you're not alone. And you see even Jesus, the father sent somebody to him all the time throughout those stations. And that's the same thing with us. God wants us to be able to be companions on the journey to help each other towards heaven, to help each other towards healing. And for us as the church, meaning the clergy, as well as the lay people, we need to make sure that we step out of our comfort zones to do that. Nobody should ever have to be alone in caring the fact that they've lost a child. As a, as a mom, when this happens to you, you have just become part of this sad sister loss club. And you don't, you, you think that you're the only one until you do talk about it. And then you learn, you know, from someone, well, so-and-so had a loss or my mother had a loss. Or, and in your, the world of loss just becomes so much bigger that uh, it, it's astounding. It really is. How could we possibly get through this without, um, without, without the God. Yeah, exactly. Without God, yeah. yeah. And I would even... Go ahead. I was just going to say, too, also, um, because people, and just being a deacon, sometimes I help people um, to be able kind of to discern where is God in their life and stuff like that. And the, in the rules for discernment, uh, St. Ignatius actually says being able to discern... Um, whether this is 
something from God or something from either the world, the flesh, or the devil. Um, there's a saying that um, Dr. Greg Popchek often says, he says, we often pray to God, but we listen to the devil. Mm. And the reason that's so powerful is because especially if you've lost a child, you're praying because you're hurting, you know, but then who do we listen to? Do we listen to the Holy Spirit or God, which would be consolation because God wants to give us consolation or do we listen to the world of flesh or the devil? That's desolation. That's the devil. He wants to, to crush our spirits to make us go into despair. But one of the marks of desolation actually is isolation. He makes you feel like you're alone, like you're the only one who's going through this so that you can end up either hating God or going into despair. But if you know you're not alone, that instead of that isolation, you actually have communion, you can carry that cross and that burden. And even I would say, because your baby is not a burden, he's a blessing, he or she is a blessing. To be able to carry those memories and you can come into communion with your child that you've lost, but also with the family of God. And that helps you to keep moving forward uh, in the ways of God. And not just carry the memories, but carry the unknowns, because I think that that's one of the hardest parts of this, all of the unknowns. And to be able to carry that with your community is, is huge. It really is a tremendous help. And, yeah. and, I, and I think that's uh, what Kara and Deacon have just talked about, explains very clearly what a mom's peace does. There was this need they have filled it. And I think our listeners should remember that even under the canon law of the church, and I learned of this in my uh, work with them, uh, parents um, who intended to baptize their babies, babies that died before the baptism was happened, can have ecclesiastical funerals, if I'm not mistaken. And it's not required you have a funeral, but you should know the options open to you if you wanted one. And the there is a funeral right for infants, right, Deacon? Yeah. So, um, so, and and just because you mentioned it, it's, it's Canon eleven eighty three dash two, where it okay. actually reads it says, the local ordinary, which would normally be the bishop, can permit children whose parents intended to baptize but who died before baptism to be given an ecclesiastical funeral. So, that that is allowed so you know if you had the intention of baptizing your child um, you can be given an ecclesial uh, funeral meaning they can have a church burial because they are basically given the status like a catechumenate mm. someone who's studying to be in the faith but they didn't do it so like say in the early church with the catacombs um you actually could die being a christian and even studying christianity was capital offense so because it would deny the role of the emperor as being the godlike figure at once it came after Caesar. So ironically, they were being killed for atheism, even though they believed in the true God. But because they were studying to be Christian, sometimes they were killed before they actually made it to the Easter vigil. So the church said, hey, look, they were going towards Christ. They, Christ. they were being receptive towards the grace. It's just that circumstances prevented them from being able to actually receive the baptism. So therefore, um, the church says, yes, look, we can still bury them with ecclesiastical rites or church rites. Um, and even with the order of Christian funerals, it says 
The church through its funeral rites commends the dead to God's merciful love and pleads for the forgiveness of their sins. So it actually says the church not only should, but actually has a responsibility to entrust those souls to the mercy of God. And that's that's absolutely amazing. So yeah. It, so, so my question is, why would you not? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, that, and that's exactly what we're going to talk a little bit about one uh, once we come back from this, we'll take another break and time's flying by, but we're going to come back, pick up there. Uh, why would you not? But also some practical uh, considerations that when we have folks on the podcast, uh, we like to ask toward the end of our show, why does all this matter? I think by now, most people who've been listening to this podcast will understand why this matters, but we want to leave folks with some closing thoughts and uh, I'll leave you all with this. In Virginia, uh, going back to the 1920s, there was a Supreme Court case, the Virginia Supreme Court, that talked about the burial of the dead. And it talks a lot about uh, issues that we've been talking about. And it leaves an anchor that it's not only a public health issue, but it's a issue of public necessity. And the court didn't really get into a lot of elaboration back then, but it, it gets to many of the issues that we deal with today. There was a time in the U.S., that I think started to change in the 50s for reasons that we're not going to talk about today, that the dignity of the individual uh, was sacrosanct. It's been that way since the founding. And uh, there, there were some issues in the 50s and 60s uh, that may have diverted us from, from that, but we have these great organizations today. There's this great reawakening and you're having great people like Kara and Deacon uh, help uh, parents struggling with this and educating folks, I think, is part of our mission here at GLA. And we're going to get into that when we come back about what you can do to help them, but also how they can help you. We'll be right back. And we're back with Cara Palladino and Deacon Anthony. Uh, we're going to wrap up our show today with some practical advice for our listeners who maybe want to learn more about a mom's peace. We strongly encourage folks to reach out and support them through your donations or through your prayers. Uh, they, they need them. This is a, a total volunteer organization and they could use both prayers and monetary support. Kara, I know you hate asking for money, but I will ask for you. So there you go. <laughs> so, uh, it's true. When people say, what do you need? I always say prayers. <laughs> you need lots a, of prayers. <laughs> well, you know, Father, you know, Father Peel, when he was uh, uh, envisioning his hospital, uh, people would, uh, they thought he was nuts, frankly. And he said, I'm going to have a hospital there someday. And people kept asking him, how are we going to build this thing? You know, we need money for that. He goes, don't worry about it. And guess what? The hospital went up in a few years. So yeah, uh, it, 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 things have ways of working out. So keep asking for prayers, Carol. They, he will provide. He always <laughs> provides. So, any, uh, so uh, it's a question for both of you. So let's say a mom and maybe a dad listening to this and they're going through this or, 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 or this just happened to them. What, what are some practical tips about, you know, if they want to have Christian burial, if they want to uh, seek the remains of their, of, of their baby, what, what should they do? Well, first thing, they absolutely have to remember that this is their, um, not only their, their legal right, but their religious right to do so. And, you're, and both of those will take you far. 
you have to be confident in what you're asking. Um, if you're at the hospital, you just need to be firm in, in what you're asking. You want to bury your child. And, and we have found that hospitals um, don't refuse people. They, they just need to know that you're um, serious and that you're not going to just go away. And it doesn't matter if you, the number of weeks in um, pregnancy that you were. So if we're talking about an earlier loss, it, it's okay. And if um, the funeral, if the hospital is telling you that you must get the funeral home, well, then, you know, sometimes we just need to get the funeral home involved in, and do that. But remember that when we ask for these things, we're, and people sometimes have some pushback, you're teaching at the same time. So just because the hospital is giving you a hard time or, you know, the surgical center is giving you a hard time about, you know, collecting the remains from your DNC, push forward. It is your right to bury your child. And it's, again, it's an opportunity for you to teach someone else how important this is to a lot of people and, and how to make that happen at their hospital or at their surgical center. What happens, what happens if, God forbid, they refuse them? Like I, what? Think you, I, I don't think that's an option. <laughs> they call a mom's, the answer was call yeah. a mom's piece. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's not an option. Definitely call a mom's piece. Um, yeah, we can have, and I mean, and, and you know, with that too, um, call a mom's piece. We do have great advocates. Um, because sometimes it's a matter of knowing um, how to communicate this. Uh, exactly. Yeah, because sometimes they do think, okay, yeah, this is just hazardous waste, but you're, I mean, sometimes you just need the right person to say like, no, that's not hazardous waste, that's my son or daughter. And, you know, with rights come responsibilities. Mm -hmm. And we always have the right to uphold the dignity of each human person. Amen. And I mean, and, and that's so crucial. And we also, and I would even say as a community, whether it's a church community or as a society, because we have that right to uphold the dignity of every person and the dignity of every family, we have to remember there's a couple things of responsibilities that we should do. So the first is we have to look at the person, whether it's the baby or the mom or the dad or the family as a whole, they need often they're going to be offered opportunities and we should try to offer opportunities to heal the whole person uh, physiologically with their body, psychologically with their mind uh, and even um, in community because they need to know that they're not ostracized in their communities. Sometimes that can hurt, too. You're thinking, oh, I have this wound, but now people won't want to be with me because I've miscarried. That can be a false perception, but most people think because nobody's talking about this, it must not be happening. So I don't want to be the oddball. So we have to be able to bring that in. But right. that's when you're called to be the, the example also. Mm -hmm. So so many times I have helped families who, who didn't know what to do, but we have walked through this with them only so that when their neighbor or friend or came forward and said, I've just had a miscarriage and don't know what to do, then they were there to help the neighbor, the friend, et cetera it really is an opportunity to take care of one another. And they often refer, like, for example, I've had people at my parish or other parishes because they lost their child and had a miscarriage. They'll say, oh, well, wait, there's this great organization. Here's a mom's piece. 
or, you know, I know that deacons there, go talk to deacon and he can help you out. Um, so they, they even can learn resources so that people can know they're not alone. And having removed all of the, the obstacles for people, having plans in place at funeral homes, at hospitals, at cemeteries, makes things so much easier so that when families do come forward, they're, they just move right through. Just as, you know, heaven forbid, when your other loved one yeah. pass away, it really does go the exact same way. It's, it's not necessary for my six-week loss to be treated differently than my grandmother Right. You know, it's, it's remarkable what you just said, what, what you're saying there about hospital, cemetery, churches, neighbors coming together to fix something and make sure someone's taken care of. And one of the things that we always keep an eye out on is keeping governments, of course, out of, uh, you know, regulating and creating problems where there are none. And there have been uh there's been legislation introduced in the past in the Virginia State Assembly, and it uh, they may come back again uh, to kind of crystallize a little bit these rights, because maybe people are not familiar with the rights they may or may not have when something like this happens, very similar to that law in Indiana, which was challenging the Supreme Court, I think last year, and the Supreme Court upheld it, that uh, babies are not medical waste, for example. And there was a law, a proposal offered by patron, I mean, Delegate LaRock, they call them patrons in, in the state assembly, Cole, okay. Delegate Freitas, Delegate Marshall and Poindexter and a few others in Virginia that would have basically required hospitals uh, that perform uh, procedures to dispose of uh, fetal remains through burial or cremation. But what I'm hearing, and that law, by the way, it, it didn't, it, it just was offered, it never I don't think it didn't make it past committee, I'm pretty sure. Uh, but what I'm hearing from you all and what I've learned from working with a mom's piece is that right now the system seems to be working pretty well. So you, you have hospitals working with you. You have uh, church groups working with you. And this, by the way, is open to anyone who suffered this. It doesn't, you don't have to be Catholic, of course. This is open to anyone of any faith background. Um, is there something, though, that you think needs to be fixed or is there clarity needed beyond education or do we just have to keep reminding and educating and building community so people know that a mom's peace is here and that the the services can be done the way it's set up now certainly there's room for in, improvement in the law i think that for the most part the hospitals operate on the fact that their policy um, is very important and it is but a lot of the hospitals operate that their policy trumps the law. And that's not the case in Virginia. Uh, there's room for clarity. There's room for improvement. Absolutely. Yeah, from the paperwork, from the, um, you know, in which case do you receive a fetal demise record? In which case do you receive a, receive a birth certificate? Um, a birth certificate and a death certificate usually accompany each other. Um, you know, there's other, there's a lot of paperwork involved. Um, and that I think is one of the things that is intimidating and is an obstacle for, for some learning how to navigate that paperwork as well, which is, which is where it's helpful to have um, the, the funeral home involved with that uh, as well. And I think for improvement, I also think that there's, there's a lot of good that's happening, but I do think there's two ways that we can improve. One is, um, I think um, summarized with 
short-term versus long-term care. Because uh, most of the time people think about short-term, which would be, um, for example, okay, yeah, let's, let's start here. Yeah, let's start with the burial. But that's not the end of the story. Uh, and this is where community comes in, especially. That's how we grew. Remember, we yeah. would meet families in the cemetery and we would provide all of these beautiful services and offset expenses. And then all of a sudden we would look at each other and go, well, what will happen to them now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're like, well, now what are they going to do? Yeah. And that's how we grew and, and Deacon um, connected with Dr. Heisman. And then we ended up with a little more therapeutic support as well. Mm-hmm. And remembrance programs and memorial, which are all very important. Oh, and, and, Kara, and Kara, you had mentioned also, or maybe it was Deacon, you had mentioned to me that the post, you know, after the burials, you even have uh, parents trying to come up with documentation about what happened because they have insurance companies asking them and it right. becomes, it comes very, it comes kind of jumbled, right? Right. Very much so. Absolutely. Mm. And Deacon, you said it was two, so you had two, you had two, uh, two recommendations and I cut you yeah. off at the second one. No, no, no. I think, I think that was, that was a good segue. Um, because that is how we've been growing because again, we're, we're trying to support that whole person. But I think also too, even just when we're walking with people, sometimes uh, even pastorally, we think about, okay, the grief, but we also forget that there's been a trauma there. Um, Mm. Oftentimes that's not addressed. And I mean, it's uh, say for example, um, just because it's a deacon, you, you work with a whole bunch of different people. If somebody's gone through like a, say like a, a war type scenario and you know, they're back home, um, but they're still having like flashbacks and stuff like that. Oftentimes um, moms can have stuff like that happen to them because they've lost their child. It's been a traumatic experience, but that hasn't been talked about or addressed. So they feel like that's also a case where they're, they're isolated um, and long-term we need to be able to know as a community to be able to comfort people and the moms and dads too that have lost their child um, to just be aware. So one of the things we do pastorally, for example, is um, I'll tell people like, I'll say some prayers or offer a holy hour for them who have, who's, who have lost their child. Um, sometimes trauma can be calmed with love. And the long-term effect is if we can show people that we love them and that we're walking with them, Mm. then they can begin to become resilient. uh, And then they can begin to know that they're not alone. And then they can eventually start to, um, I would even say, be resilient, um, be able to go along the journey and know that it's okay to have these emotions while on the journey um, because the, the love of God, um, as Isaiah says, through his stripes, we are healed. And sometimes if we have to share that stripe of a loss or a scourging, what feels like a scourging, or even for some men and women, a crucifixion, but if we unite that to Christ, we can come out in the light throughout this cross. And that's what we, I think we have to improve on often. Um, 
helping people to see the goodness uh, in their child and the goodness in being part of that family and being able to uphold that dignity. I think we have that responsibility because we have the right to be able to uphold the dignity of our child, the mom, and the family. Beautifully said. Deacon, what can I say? (laughs) (laughs) That's just a great wrap-up, and uh, there's not much else really that we can add to this, and you've given us a lot of information today, Deacon Anthony and Cara Palladino, and there's a lot for us to think about, but also a lot to do. I encourage our listeners to log on to the Mom's Peace website, learn more about the organization, the Lay Apostolate for Mothers of Miscarried and Stillborn Souls, and I hope we can have you both back in the near future, because there's a few more items that I think we need to talk about, but thank you for taking time. Yeah, we'd be happy to be, be back. Thank you. And, uh, and, and thank you for the work that you all do in the defending the fundamental rights of parents going through these difficult times, more importantly for our tiniest of clients. Uh, it's an mm-hmm. honor to help represent them and mm-hmm. know that you always have friends here at the Global Liberty Alliance, should you ever need uh, lawyers to so keep the lawyers away is my <laughs> <laughs> yeah, keep 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 us away you don't, you don't really need the lawyers but seriously thank you both for, thank you both for what you're doing and uh, i hope we can have you back soon god bless you thank you god bless Hello, it's Jason with the Global Liberty Alliance. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Before we wrap up the last segment, I want to just share with you two brief uh, announcements. First, thank you. Thank you for uh, your support, for your questions, for listening, for sending us so many suggestions for guests and for uh, topics. We will continue to read them and please keep them coming. So on behalf of Arthur, Cara, Mariana, Mauricio, Veronica, our network of lawyers and independent uh, you know, civil society leaders in the places we work, thank you for listening and for uh, expressing uh, the enthusiasm for some of the work that they are doing uh, in Latin America and hopefully soon in other places. Second, in order to expand our work, we need your support. So please consider investing. Uh, please consider uh, putting some of your Uh, Sweat equity, if you want, we can put you to work, but we also need your money. We need your support. Consider investing. There's many ways to give. Uh, Look and learn more about it at our website at www.globallibertyalliance.org. That's www.globallibertyalliance.org. You can click on the invest button, and you can also check some of the work we're doing. Keep in mind, that's just an example of some of the work Uh, we've done that we continue to do and if you'd like to learn more uh, please contact us let's get back to the show thank you very much